Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Tim Ray from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God, to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. As we've been working through Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, his 133 catechetical talks that he gave predominantly in the 1980s on the significance of the human person, the human soul, in understanding ourselves as God originally created us in the garden prior to the fall, helping us, as we've been discussing these last few weeks, to unpack that the intended vision for the human person is not the fallen state to the human person, but the vision of man was how God created us in original innocence in the garden prior to the fall, and how through the grace of Christ, and this is what we'll get to further along in the series, this is what we are called to live out now. And so I remember when I was working through Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, I had a bit of an obsession with it in college and in graduate school. It's something that I read over and over again. Almost every single one of my papers and my thesis was just soaked, seeped in theology of the body. And I'm rereading it yet again. I lost track of how many times I've specialized in with different professors who have expertise in this. And It's really neat to unpack it now, but I remember one of my professors some years ago said that everything in theology of the body, as it's often overly sexualized, it's really about the human person, that anything said about theology of the body should be able to be said about the Blessed Virgin Mary, and that there should be this level of humility and modesty when talking about Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And I was thinking about this with regard to this solemnity of the Assumption and how Our Lady is the perfection of all that Pope St. John Paul II is discussing with regard to the human person. And Pope St. John Paul II keeps pointing to the words of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 19 about the original view of the human person from the dawn of creation with regard to maleness and femaleness and marriage. I've said this many times over the last few weeks in this series. I think if someone were to go to Jesus today and ask him, what do you think about gender? What do you think about same-sex marriage? He would have the same exact response that he did in Mark chapter 10 and Matthew 19. Ponder this. What did he say? what was it from the beginning? He said, God created the male and female. And what God has brought together, no man is meant to pull apart. But he indicates first that we are made male and female. And so Pope St. John Paul II starts with this and starts to unpack, well, what does that mean to be male and female? How does that impact every dimension of our human life? How is that the essence of the meaning and purpose of who we are? He talks about original innocence And how the original state of the human person isn't the fallen state of man, but this perfect innocence where the relationship between the human person and God is perfectly understood. Therefore, our relationships with other human beings between Adam and Eve, between Adam and the rest of creation, is in proper order. Creation is a tool and a gift not meant to manipulate the human person as we allow our technology and food and all of these different technologies to impact us today. Talk about the original state of solitude of the human person, what that meant. I hope you'll unpack these podcasts that we've created, unpacking each of these key ideas. Original unity, the unity between Adam and Eve, and how that pointed to original nakedness. That comfort in being completely naked before one another. And that this indicated the spousal meaning of the body, the original understanding of the gift of human life, the gift of self given to another. And how even that isn't just lived out in marriage and human sexuality, but it's lived out in the selfless gift of self, the disinterested idea that we have to overcome that love is always about me, myself, and I. Well, the culmination of all of what we've been discussing is seen in Our Lady. She amplifies what it means to live a grace-filled life, to live a gift of self. It's very significant that there are very few words spoken of Our Lady in sacred scripture. 
And it's also significant that in those few words we do have of what she did say, that it's never recorded in sacred scripture, never held in the tradition from the people who knew her, who she lived with, such as John, who she would have been interviewed by, such as Luke and others for specifically telling the story of the biblical stories, the author of the Gospel of Luke. And I think that's what's significant. What we never see is this. We never see her complaining or dwelling upon her own suffering or resentful of the things she's experienced or angry at the people who betrayed her son, the apostles. Only one was there, and that was John. Where were all of the others? Where were they? And yet the tradition holds that after the crucifixion, the apostles gathered around Our Lady in the upper room. Imagine, shamefaced, that they not only abandoned Christ in his suffering, but they abandoned his mother, who was at the cross, without his closest friends, without the young men who she had influenced as well. And they had to go shamefaced before her. Our Lady never shows resentment or anger or bitterness. She shows the embodiment of all the virtues. She embodies that original state of the human person in the garden prior to the fall. And she shows that through the grace of Jesus Christ, that is possible for you and I today. Do we believe that? Are we willing to submit ourselves to the sacrament of the church, the sacrament of reconciliation, to be humiliated and humbled, but forgiven and elevated in confession? I mean that, to be humiliated and humbled by going to confession, but to be elevated and brought back into union with the body of Christ. Are we willing to do that so that we can receive our Lord Jesus Christ worthily in the sacrament of the Eucharist? Do we submit ourselves to praying morning and night and even kneeling before the throne of God, begging Our Lady's intercession? This solemnity of the assumption is a reminder for us to know that Jesus Christ's grace is sufficient and that his power is made perfect in the midst of our humility to be dependent upon him for all things. Happy feast day, happy assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We are unpacking Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and I want to talk about the next portion where Pope St. John Paul II, and if you've not been joining us, by the way, we are in a series. It has been so much fun. At least I'm having fun. I hope you are. I'm looking at the numbers. People are really eating up the content. Let me know how you're enjoying the podcast. If you're following along every show, almost every show, we've been unpacking Pope St. John Paul II's 133 catechetical talks on theology of the body there's a lot to unpack it's very heady but the fruits of it are truly prophetic when it comes to what is happening in the culture today and the point we are at is where pope saint john paul ii is still walking through genesis those first few chapters of genesis and he's starting to talk about the section known as knowledge and procreation What does the word know and knowing mean in the Old Testament? Well, here is a little bit of inside talk when it comes to sacred scripture, if you didn't know this. If someone says someone knew someone else, that they knew them, that's another play on words for sexual intimacy. Hopefully within marriage, but as we know, our forefathers in the Old Testament weren't always good about how they engaged in sexuality. So what we are looking at is Pope St. John Paul II is talking about the significance of the ability to have children and what it means to know. And why is it that we hear those words in the Old Testament of knowing another person as a verbiage for the gift of sexuality and engaging in sexual intimacy between man and woman? And what Pope St. John Paul II is pointing to is how when Jesus Christ, in talking to his interlocutors, In Matthew 19 and Mark 10, when he appeals to the beginning, he points to the significance of children as well, being fruitful and multiplying, the man and the woman, that nothing should come between them. Christ leads us, Pope St. John Paul II says, in appealing to the beginning, beyond the limits of what St. Pope John Paul II says, the hereditary sinfulness 
of the original innocence of the human person. So what he's saying is that, as we've been discussing, especially the last couple weeks, original innocence was God's vision for the human person. And that we shouldn't so much focus on ourselves as fallen human beings, but in terms of the vision God has for us, that we can be restored to grace by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that we are called to come back to this innocence that occurred in the garden where knowledge of another person, the sexual complementarity that occurred that brings forth new life, that we can understand that when we discuss this, when we dive into Adam and Eve, for example, knowing each other, again, now you know the word, it's a word that you can use instead of using that three-letter word uh, having to do with what happens between the sheets. What we're talking about is that Pope St. John Paul II is saying in that knowing, in that consummation of marriage, that this is a union defined precisely by knowledge. And this is part of the reason why we hear that word knowing and being known and knowledge in the Old Testament, where we read that Adam knew his wife. And this is where we read about Cain and Abel who come from the union of Adam and Eve. So what we're talking about is that Pope St. John Paul II is saying that the situation in which husband and wife unite so intimately, he says, among themselves as to form one flesh was defined as knowledge. Why? Because he's indicating that we get to a deeper depth of knowing ourselves in intimacy. It's through the duality of sexuality that the two become one flesh. What he's saying is that it's only through maleness and femaleness that sexual complementarity can occur in two things the generation of new life but in the authentic gift of what actual sexual intimacy is meant to be and i love that pope saint john paul ii is saying this why because what he's saying is that how god created it is how it's meant to be done and that is between a man and a woman and that when a woman brings her distinct unique femaleness, body and soul, mind, every dimension of her human person is impacted by her female sexuality. When she brings the totality of herself, including that bodily complementarity, she comes to a greater understanding and knowledge of herself and of her husband, because that's the way it's meant to be. And the same for the man. And so through, again, I want to say what Pope St. John Paul II said yet again, through the duality of sex, they become one flesh and bring it into the specific dimension of the person. So what is he saying? It's one of those handful of areas where he's actually talking about intimacy. Because most of the time, Pope St. John Paul II is referring to the differences of men and women, the complementarity that occurs, that is seen on the material physiological level, like a key and a lock through the body, but that there's so much more to that than the material dimension, that especially... In the 21st century, we tend to demean and lower the value of our maleness and femaleness. And as the culture seems to try to see if the body can swing both ways or engage with people of the same sexual orientation, well, it's not working. Sexually transmitted diseases are off the charts for people who are engaging with other people of the same sex. They're off the charts for people who are saying, well, I'm bisexual. I can swing both ways. The body is suffering. It's degrading the body. It's damaging the body. It's decreasing life longevity. It's increasing damage of diseases. It's leading to infertility. But it's also not leading to human happiness. And that's part of why Pope St. John Paul II is talking about theology of the body here. Because he's saying there's a purpose. There's a theology. There's an essence to who you are. And it does have something to do with when a man and a woman marry and give themselves to each other in a total gift of self that has the potential to create new life, that man and woman affirm and embrace one another in a way that comes to a deeper knowledge of both themselves individually as well as together, knowing the other person. And so Pope St. John Paul II, over and over again in this section, in Talk 20 and 21, is talking about knowledge and procreation from the perspective of what he says, human intentionality. That is the specific depth of their own human eye. What Pope St. John Paul II is saying is that they get to know each other better. 
get to know one another better through understanding the totality of who we are as male and female, not reducing ourselves or rejecting parts of our body in the gift of new human life. And it'll be neat to unpack this further because what we're going to do is dive into the significance of this specifically through motherhood and fatherhood as Pope St. John Paul II just hits a nail on the head in discussing how significant our self-knowledge becomes and how sacrificial the gift of the human person can be when we start to enter into what is known as motherhood and fatherhood. And even if you don't have kids, understanding that from the perspective of spiritual motherhood and spiritual fatherhood, because theology of the body is for everyone. Theology of the body, as we discussed yesterday, is fundamental to understanding Our Lady, especially. So we'll unpack more of this tomorrow, getting into fatherhood and motherhood in this series on Theology of the Body. Check out the series, catch up at relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcasts. I'll be right back. You're listening to Trending with Timory, and we're talking about motherhood the rest of the show, diving into it from the perspective of Theology of the Body. And I want to tie in a New York Times article from last year that I just read for the first time. But before we do, talk about the reality of motherhood. Would you like to know how my day started? We were up for hours. It's a long story. There was um, someone at the bottom of our driveway who was flashing a light up the driveway and started to walk up the driveway. The light goes out. No one gets back in the car. And then five minutes later, the car, I never hear a door shut, slowly backs out of the street. Instead of just driving around, it was creepy. Anyways, it's a long story. The sheriff showed up. So it was a long night. We get up. Then I'm with my seven-month-old. And then My two-year-old gets up, and she comes out. She's all excited to see her sister. And then she gets her stroller all sassy and throws all these blankets that I folded for the 20th time. Uh, She throws all the blankets onto the stroller, and she looks at me, and she says, Don't touch my stroller. Don't fold these blankets. And don't tell me what to do. I go, what? (laughs) My jaw drops. I'm looking at her like, what did you do with my sweet two-year-old? Oh, yeah, that's terrible, too, is I don't have a sweet two-year-old all the time. She's a little Tasmanian, you know what, half the time. Uh, But I was dying. I thought, oh, Lord, I have my work cut out for me today. I want to touch on this New York Times article and tie it, as we finish the show, into Theology of the Body and what it says about motherhood. So I read this New York Times article, and the headline started like this. This is a total lie. Maternal instincts is a myth that men created. Maternal instincts is a myth that men created. Okay, let me start here. Number one, there's no research that I have seen to back this up in no neuroscience. And they claim that neuroscience has disproven this. And yet there's no study cited in this entire thing. There's no argument for what women do have or how women don't. It's total hogwash. I I don't even know how some of these mainstream publishers even post articles such as these. It's a false claim. Let's put some perspective here. Motherhood is hard, and that's a fact. And I think that's what this article touches on that should be talked about. But instead, they just blame men and the patriarchy and lie about neuroscience. And I think that's significant because we live in a world where social media puts up a facade. We don't see all the horrible moments. We see the picture-perfect moments. And at the same time, motherhood and babies are delightful, and there are joyful moments, too. And if you think about it, even from the perspective of childbirth, most women don't have this horrific vision or view of their childbirth. Most women hardly remember at the joy of seeing their children for the first time and how much they love them. It's an incredible mystery of human reproduction having children. And so the story that's kicked off in this New York Times article is about this woman who asks this new mom of twins how she's doing. And... It's a bit of a loaded question because this woman already knows that the mom's exhausted, overwhelmed, having a hard time bonding with her baby. She's trying everything. She's trying wearing her babies. She's trying talking to her babies. And she's struggling. And what does the new mom of two twins say to one of her neighbors in the apartment complex? She says, I'm fabulous. I'm so happy. And the whole article goes on to talk about how that's a lie and that women don't have the space to tell the truth. I do think that's a problem. I think there's much more that needs to be said and discussed with regard to postpartum depression, with regard to the reality. And I'm just thinking about real things that people don't talk about, such as 
Maybe you have an allergic reaction after you give birth to things such as stitches and you are itchy for a long time. Or maybe you're not sleeping because you're feeding a baby all night. Or maybe you're just ravenous and hangry. And we could go on one after another. Maybe you experience severe postpartum depression. Maybe you are doing it all alone because your husband had to go back to work. I don't know. Maybe you end up in the NICU for six days with nowhere to sleep and you can't even use a restroom nearby. That was my story. And that you're still recovering. And it's not easy being a mom. It's exhausting at times. It's overwhelming. Yet this new mom of twins, bless her soul, said she's fabulous. I'm so happy. And someone says, that's a lie. It's just that men say that women are meant to have maternal instincts and we're trying to create this picture perfect view of having a mommy at home barefoot in the kitchen men made that up i just can't believe we're saying that instead of talking about how women need support and let's be real about postpartum depression and recovering and how challenging it can be not to sleep among other things we're really just pointing at men and saying you made up maternal instincts or instead of saying hey some women struggle with maternal instincts we aren't having any real conversations with lousy hit pieces on men from the New York Times encouraging women not to have children because that's what this is. Here's another perspective that I think we need to have. And we're going to tie this in a little bit into Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And this is why this is part of the series. I'm including it in the podcast. We have a fallen human nature, but that wasn't God's original design. And that's what we've been unpacking in Theology of the Body. God has a blueprint for the human person. It was a state called original innocence. It was where the human person was so grace-filled that there was this perfect relationship with God and therefore the relationships with neighbor, with spouse, with creation, all was in right order. But in our fallen state, we can't forget about that original intention of God. You see, with our fallen human nature, we have wounds even after the graces of baptism. And even after, we still have concupiscence, that tendency towards sin, because what was part of the result of the fall? We read it in Genesis chapter 3. In toil will man work with the earth. You'll be worked against. Things are difficult. And so what do we learn from that? One of the many interpretations is that there's going to be difficulty and strife and adversity with regard to our responsibilities. Yet we still have responsibilities. And when people say that, well, women, some women just don't have maternal instincts, sometimes it's a little harder to kick into that. Or maybe it's a season in your life where it's difficult, such as not having very much sleep. But here's the bottom line. This is what we do know. And again, these are generalizations, but they're fundamental to who we are as people. Women see people better than men do. In other respects, women have a more interpersonal connection, face-to-face -face communication. And sometimes with that, we can lose sight of the big picture. Men see systems and big pictures, and with that, can sometimes lose sight of the particulars and the needs of other people. And with that, what I'm saying is that women have a particular sense of responsibility for other people, in particular, their children. And so when those instincts to figure out every nitty gritty of how to meet a child's need or how to bond with a child or how to help fix things don't come into play, it's a pain for women. And instead of addressing that pain and that feeling of inadequacy, we say, the patriarchy did this. Men made up the maternal instinct. And that's total trash news. That's trash perspective. And I call it because it is. It's a horrible perspective to have, and I can't believe the New York Times, it's irresponsible to post something like that online. I believe in free speech, but we've got to be careful as mainstream media of what is said. Again, there are challenges, but there's a truth to the happiness of a new mom, who even in the face, this mom that we share of having twins, says she's fabulous and she's so happy, she's showing the joy of motherhood. She's showing that the struggle is making her virtuous. She's choosing happiness at times. I remember with my first daughter, I was just talking 
to my mom about this last week that the weather was so awful for me living in Michigan. I'm a sunshine girl from California and nine months of winter and gloom and it would be so dark and I'd be stuck inside and I was struggling with a little bit of depression from the isolation and after having the baby. And I remember I just had to be like, okay, I'm choosing to be happy. I'm jumping up. And I remember I would dance over and over again with my daughter to baby shark. I didn't know what to do with her all day long. It was hard. It was just her and I all day long at home, completely removed from my whole family, my whole support. And I'd sit there and keep trying. I would sing with her. I'd dance through the house and we sang so, and I'm not a singer. We would sing and dance. I would talk and talk and talk to her. And so when people say, you know, women don't have maternal instincts, I think more so it's that it's hard to fight against our tendency to just want to turn in on ourselves and be selfish when it's hard. It's a learning curve as parents. And not only do you have to learn how to be a parent, you have to learn how to parent each different child with their different needs, their different elements of bad behavior, their different gifts. I was thinking about that this week in that huge unknown of how to be a mom. I was at a doctor's appointment this week and a dentist appointment and another appointment. And as I'm in all these different appointments, I'm sitting here babbling on and on to my seven month old as I'm enjoying it's just she and I at all these appointments and the receptionist is there. And I'm thinking I probably sound like a crazy lady as I keep talking to my daughter nonstop and narrating every little thing that I'm doing. But babies learn through their senses. And this is where the neuroscience proves that this just hit piece on men in this anti-motherhood article wrong from the New York Times because babies learn through the senses. First and foremost, in the mother's body, they have that sense of taste, touch, hearing, knowing the mother. And when they come out of the womb, there's that great comfort for them that can even revive children who have been declared dead by holding them skin to skin, that touch, hearing the heartbeat, hearing the mother's voice. It's all so significant for them. Psychologically and neurologically, we could point to studies where women talk more to babies than men do. Why is this significant? Because it helps their brain to develop. It's incredible. There was a study of a child in California where people said, yeah, kids don't need parents. Kids don't need to be nourished. And they locked the child away for, I think it was 12 years. And they said, you know, kids will just, you know, grow up on their own. Guess what? The child couldn't speak at 12 years old. The child had next to no function and was basically completely stymied and developmentally damaged because of this lack of fundamental, basic conversation in care from parents, but especially from the mother. There's this great book, Being There, Why Being There in the First Three Years Matters. And it's not exclusively saying, oh, you just need to be there the first three years, but it says why the science is so important for helping to educate and train and form that young child. So as you see these hit pieces on motherhood, as you see these hit pieces on men, don't take it. The truth of the matter is, is that women, the vision for women, one of the great gifts, one of the gifts, not the only gift women will live out. You know, I want to take this question. I hope you're still listening, Joanne, because this question, it's near and dear to my heart just hearing it. Uh, Joanne shared, my daughter is about to give birth, but she's my caregiver as I'm dying of Parkinson's. How is she to find that balance while caring for me? Joanne, I hope you're with us now, and I so appreciate that you asked this question. And I just want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for asking that question. Thank you for caring for your daughter in just hearing that, I think that there's a real misunderstanding with regard to illness in our culture today. And I think discrediting the value of children, of adult children and babies being around suffering. And sometimes I think it's easy to feel like a burden, especially as you see, here I am, Joanne, you're at the end of your life, and here your daughter is at the beginning of new life with her new baby who she's about to give birth to. And I understand the pain and fear and concern about having your daughter feel pulled in multiple directions, but this is part of the responsibility of what God has allowed for you and what God has allowed for your daughter And I want to encourage you to lean into the joy of that new life and that new baby who has entered into your home and your family. And as you may wish that you could help your daughter with her baby, 
what a gift in a certain respect it is for your daughter to become a new mom while caring for her own mother and still welcoming this new child into her home. Will that be easy every day? No. But what I do know is that God supplies the graces and you have this unique opportunity to mentor your daughter at the same time as she lovingly cares for you as your primary caregiver. Don't be afraid of that. And I really want to encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit, how can I build my daughter up in her motherhood? How can I help pass on this gift of motherhood? I want to just emphasize first most that helping her to understand that no matter what she faces in the culture, the needs of her child do come first. That's her responsibility's mom. And right now she may, you know, maybe it's her husband at the time, but there will be other people who are going to be offering to help her in those beginning days and moments of having a new baby. Encourage her not to turn people down because your daughter taking care of you and taking care of her new baby, she might feel pulled in different directions and maybe even want to just say, oh, I'll do it all myself as a stress response. Encourage her to welcome the help as people offer. And even sometimes people coming to visit, people coming to visit if it's an okay environment for you. Visiting the baby can also be present to you and help alleviate her for a moment while they hold and bounce a baby or help rock a baby in their arms. But don't be afraid of that and encourage your daughter to remember her primary vocation there as mother and wife. But as she's doing that, that caring for you does not pull her away from that, but in many respects enhances her to appreciate another stage in life that will be influential for that little baby girl as long as you are able to be around her. But at the end of the day, just say, pray to the Holy Spirit. When we have experiences like this that are challenging, God always supplies the graces. And one thing I truly see that a lot of women are struggling with today is confidence in motherhood. And if they do feel confident in motherhood, still needing to hear, hey, you're doing a great job. I'm proud of you. Take this opportunity to tell your daughter not just how grateful you are for the care she's giving you, but for how proud you are of her and exercising her motherhood already while still pregnant and in the days to come after she gives birth to her baby. I talked about a really intriguing article that was just dead wrong from the New York Times. It came out last year and it came across my desk and it talked about how the whole premise of it was that maternal instincts aren't true. It's just something that men made up. And it was a hit on patriarchy and it was talking about why you shouldn't have children, basically. Or that's what it was encouraging or discouraging. But what really needed to be addressed was the challenge in motherhood. The challenge to come into motherhood. Knowing what to do, how to meet your child's needs, insecurities that occur. Even more so in the broken culture where not everyone grew up with a mom. Or with parents who had an intact marriage. Uh, some people's moms just weren't around a lot. There's much to be said. What I want to touch on as a follow-up to that conversation is where we're at in the Theology of the Body series. And I hope you'll catch that episode from yesterday because I think it was an interesting conversation. I know we had a lot of people commenting after the show as well online. So let's talk about where we're at in Theology of the Body. Right now, we're diving into the section of Theology of the Body where where it talks about human sexuality and the gift of having children. And there's this profound paragraph or two where Pope St. John Paul II draws our attention to motherhood. He starts with Genesis chapter 3, where we understand that Eve, the first woman created in the creation account, was named Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And so in the biblical account, in the Catholic worldview, which is the human anthropology that we are unpacking in Theology of the Body, that means that there's something about the body and sexuality and even a purpose to the very words and the name given to Eve, meaning mother of all the living. And what is neat is that Pope St. John Paul II starts talking about how our body and sexuality hide the very depth, he says, of a woman's femininity. We see this through marital intimacy and motherhood. Pope St. John Paul II says the mystery of femininity manifests and reveals itself in full depth through motherhood. I think that's so beautiful. So what he's saying is the mystery of femininity manifests and reveals itself in full depth through motherhood. 
And the Bible says that Eve conceived and gave birth. And this is part of where we're pulling from because we believe as Catholics that what is said in the Bible speaks to the human heart, the human identity, the blueprint for the human person. And so this is why Pope St. John Paul II, in his 133 catechetical talks that we're unpacking, is saying, listen, this is your human anthropology. Now, I find it fitting that we're talking about this within the context of a conversation where we've covered singleness and depression today on Trending, if you've been with me all hour, because some people will say, well, not all women are mothers, or women who become nuns are mothers, or consecrated virgin aren't biological mothers. But that doesn't mean that you don't exercise what I think needs to talk, be discussed more often, and that is spiritual motherhood. That all women are called to exercise their motherhood. Not all women will be biological mothers, but there's a reason that, for example, in the convent, that the mother superior in the convent is referred to as mother because she's caring for her children. There's a dimension of motherhood that is so profound in terms of who we are as women. It can actually be a guiding post for what we do. I'll never forget when I was about 19 years old in college, I was very involved in pro-life work at the time and was discerning a couple of neat projects and opportunities while working through college. And I was having a hard time deciding. And I remember my spiritual director said, Timory, where are your children? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, Father. I'm not married. I'm single. He goes, where are your children? I'm going, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm getting very annoyed as I'm asking this big deal question. To me at 19, it was, you know, so dramatic, life or death, that it's existential crisis. And he says, where are your children? In other words, where do you see yourself giving yourself in a way that is exercising motherhood, that you're exercising this giving and this gift as is done in biological motherhood, but meant to be lived out by all women. And I love that example of motherhood because I think it helps in guiding us as women to coming into our full identity and the mystery of our femininity through the gift of motherhood. I want to unpack this ending of Today and Tomorrow. We'll wrap up this beginning section where Pope St. John Paul II has been introducing these key ideas. We talked about original innocence, original unity, the spousal meaning of the body, all of those original states prior to the fall. And the big picture was this. What Jesus was trying to communicate to the Pharisees and Matthew 19 and Mark 10 was really trying to help them understand that God's original intention for man and woman is the view of the human person. And what Pope St. John Paul II is communicating is that we need to stop looking at our humanity, at our anthropology from a fallen worldview, but instead a grace-filled view of the blueprint for the body as God intended from the dawn of creation. And so with this, we're talking about procreation, having babies, the significance of motherhood and fatherhood. And what Pope St. John Paul II is pointing at is that men and women have a greater sense of self-discovery and discovery of one another when they understand that a woman stands before a man as a mother. And when she comes into this, a woman helps to reveal the paternity of a man. She helps to continue to develop the paternity. That is the fatherhood of a man. I remember in Pope St. John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility, before he was Pope, he wrote it as Carol Votila, a beautiful book. He actually talks about how women are more akin to motherhood and men come into their fatherhood, but it's often at the assistance of the prompting of the wife to help to grow and develop and foster that fatherhood, that relationship between child and father. It's a beautiful thing. I've even seen it develop within my own marriage and with our children. But what Pope St. John Paul II is really pointing to is how important it is that we understand the significance of procreation and sexuality together. That human generation helps a man and a woman in a deeper sense of knowing each other. This is why the word biblical knowledge, as Pope St. John Paul II, refers to sexuality in the sense that we, in the sexual complementary, come to a greater understanding and bring about new life. Now, 
he talks about this from the, the perspective of the mystery of creation, the mystery that we see from the dawn of creation in Genesis chapters one and two, that God created out of nothing. He created the man, and then from the man, he created the woman. That we need to continue to be in awe of this mystery, and that this is exactly what's happening when new life is created now by us in communion with God the Creator. Pope St. John Paul II says the significance of the act that originates a being in union with the Creator establishes a new human being in existence. He's saying we need to look at this as a mystery. He talks about this biblical knowledge, this biblical knowing, that keyword in sacred scripture that you now know what that means, if you've been following the series, is a union of persons in love. He's talking about that self-donation, that gift of self that is lived out in one way through procreation, having children. And he emphasizes the value of a child created within the context of marriage and valuing how we must value that that is how new human life is meant to be brought into this world. Now, without diving into everything from surrogacy to in vitro fertilization, this is what he's touching on. And we're going to unpack this in the conclusion of this part of Theology of the Body, of how all of this by Jesus Christ's appeal to the beginning with a man made male and female, that primordial sacrament of marriage being appealed to, he's actually answering any crisis that we are talking about today that we are seeing in the ideologies of the radical feminists and pro-LGBTQ culture. And we'll unpack that tomorrow during our Theology of the Body series and wrap up in this section of that appeal to building up a biblical anthropology of the human person. Pope St. John Paul II says that every man carries himself in himself the mystery of his beginning, strictly tied to the consciousness of the generative meaning of the body. What Pope St. John Paul II is saying here is that every human person carries within, within himself, within herself, that understanding, that mystery that is linked to the fact that we were created by God, that generational gift of new human life, and that that was given to us and that we have the potential, the potency for that as well. I think that's significant because there's been a loss of understanding of what makes babies, of where children come from. And I think a wholesome view of the human person, a fundamental dimension of raising children, of raising teenagers, is valuing that gift of children, especially for women. Coming back to a great value of protecting motherhood and that potential. And that that's why intimacy is so important, but also meant to be so valued and respected and protected. Instead of a culture that says, you do you, your timing, and you can be as explicit and nasty as you want. That's what the feminist culture says. And as we see in some of those stats I was reporting on earlier, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the younger generations, even seniors in high school today, women are biting the bait. They're taking it. And we need to build back that culture that understands and respects the potential for new human life and how mysterious and valuable that is. Pope St. John Paul II actually points to this value of the potency for new life, what he refers to as the generative dimension of the body. He says this is the precipice, the threshold of man's history. That is, this is the history. This is the part of human history we need to focus on. He says in his beginning on the earth, on this threshold, the human person, he points to as male and female, with the consciousness of the generative meaning of your and my bodies, he says, the masculinity contains in a hidden way the meaning of fatherhood and that femininity also contains the hidden meaning of motherhood. What Pope St. John Paul II is saying is we look, as we look at the vision of the primordial human persons, Adam and Eve, Genesis, diving into the creation narratives, that at the core of it is understanding that generative dimension of, of creating new life, the mystery that's involved, and in how masculinity reveals itself into fatherhood, and femininity is revealed even further through motherhood. 
What do you think Jesus would say to the cultural ideologies that we face? The medical technologies that are coming in direct conflict with Catholic Church teaching, but also in direct conflict and confrontation with our own lives, with our desire to have children, with our identities. That's a key question, and this is specifically why I chose to kick off this series in Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, because it was prophetic and antidotal. It unpacks a biblical anthropology, which is the only, the only anthropology we should look to as Catholics. And we're coming to the conclusion of the first section of Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. We've actually made it through 23 of his talks in the last, I think, month and a half or so. And it's great because there's so much to unpack. And this last, this last catechetical talk in the first part of Theology of the Body is really addressing this key idea that we need to have an integral vision of the human person. And with that, understand what would Jesus' response be to the cultural questions we have now, just as we've unpacked in these last weeks over the last month and a half, that Jesus, in being confronted by the Pharisees over the topic of divorce, remarriage, male and femaleness, that he appeals back to the beginning. He said in Matthew 19 and similarly in Mark 10, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. He reiterates the same thing in Mark chapter 10 when confronted about divorce. And so what Pope St. John Paul II says is that we know what sort of questions about marriage and family are being addressed today. The same questions. Pope St. John Paul II says that they are being asked by single persons, by married and engaged couples, by young people, but also writers, journalists, politicians, economists, demographers, and some by contemporary culture and civilizations. We are still asking questions about sexuality, about marriage, about maleness and femaleness. And this is why Pope St. John Paul II says he starts with a biblical anthropology from the beginning, appealing back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, that primordial vision of the human person that God had intended from the beginning. Rather than looking at ourselves strictly as fallen human beings in a state of concupiscence in need of baptism, which we are and we do need, he wants us to understand that view of the human person in what he refers to as original innocence, a grace-filled life. And that that is what we must return to. And this is what we'll be unpacking moving forward in the rest of the sections of Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And so what Pope St. John Paul II encourages us to understand is that among the answers that Christ would give to our questions now today, that Jesus Christ, he said, would appeal, first of all, to the beginning yet again. So let me just point out a few examples where we would see this. For example, Jesus, what do you think about gender ideology? Is there such a thing as male and female? Can a man really be trapped in a woman's body? What if someone really says that they're experiencing depression and anxiety and they think they'd be happier if they were just allowed to, quote, transition? We'll take the exact words Jesus Christ said. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Then Jesus talks about the generative dimension of the body, that man and woman unite together, becoming one flesh, therefore the potential for new life. And also, what about divorce, though? Jesus, what do you think about divorce? Well, he's already answered that. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The covenant we enter into in the sacrament of marriage is for life, till death do us part in sickness and health, for richer or poorer. These are key elements of the sacrament that we enter into, a covenant before God. Well, what about if you're, what about if I'm struggling to have children? Can I use in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, and any other number of so-called reproductive technologies, third-party reproductive technologies? What does God appeal to? What does Jesus say? 
that the two unite and the two become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. From contraception to abortion to third-party reproductive technologies, we're using physical barriers, chemical barriers. We're taking the act of the generative dimension, the generative meaning of the body, as Pope St. John Paul II refers to, and we're taking it out of the context of marriage and creating new human life without respecting the mystery of new life, the co-creation with God, the creator of the spouses and God, without even understanding the generative meaning of the body. And as we were discussing yesterday, yesterday, the mysterious element of that. Pope St. John Paul II, in this 23rd of his catechetical talks, talks about how the, the fact that theology also includes the body should not astonish us. He says, or surprise anyone who is conscious of the mystery and reality of the incarnation. So he's saying that theology of the body makes sense. We shouldn't be surprised that we're talking about a theology of body. Because if we understand the mystery and reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the mystery and reality of the generative dimension of the human body, we should understand there's a mystery and a blueprint for our very bodies. Pope St. John Paul II says, so many human beings and so many Christians search in marriage for fulfillment of their vocation. So many want to find in marriage, he says, the way of salvation and holiness. And he gives, Pope St. John Paul II gives a key guide here in saying that theology of the body is that solution. And I remember when I was first reading the actual text of theology of the body, not just a commentary, not just a book, but actually reading the text, I took this and highlighted it and took it to heart. Pope St. John Paul II, in talking about this theology of the body, says those who seek the fulfillment of their own human and Christian vocation and marriage are called first of all to make the theology of the body, whose beginning we find in the first chapters of Genesis, the content of their lives and behavior. What did Pope St. John Paul II just say? Study Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Make this original vision of the human person the content of your life and your behavior. Understanding original innocence, understanding original happiness, as Pope St. John Paul II enunciates in his Theology of the Body, saying that through the boundary between original innocence and, and happiness, that this is where we find the inheritance that is made for us even after the fall of the human person, even after the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And that what we need to discover, he says, is the redemption of the body. This is through the church. This is through the grace of the sacraments. This is through the mystery of Jesus Christ and the great gift of the offering he made on the cross. Pope St. John Paul II is encouraging us to take seriously the content of theology, understanding it within the context of our body, that it's the blueprint for our lives, and that we need to make this the content and behavior of our day-to-day -day interactions and lives. This is why we're unpacking Theology of the Body. It's the antidote to the cultural ideologies and crises we face from infertility, from divorce, remarriage, questioning identity of maleness and femaleness. I hope you'll join us in this series of Theology of the Body as we continue to slowly unpack our biblical anthropology so that we are confident and joy-filled in saying yes to what Jesus Christ is calling us to.